Let's talk about the rifle I took to the NRL 22 Championships this week on Mail Call Mondays. I'm John McQuay with 8541 Tactical, and this is Mail Call Mondays, the show that answers your questions about precision rifles, optics, and equipment. Welcome to another Mail Call Mondays, and this Monday I am going to break down the finished rifle that I took to the National Rifle League Championships uh, this last month. Uh, so we did the full review on the Bagara B14R uh, and published that uh, last month. So we took that rifle, but pretty much just that barreled action, and I totally rebuilt the rifle uh, just before the championships, which is never a great idea, but uh, in this case it is what it is because... Uh, I didn't really want to shoot the B14R in its stock form, and the optics setup on it was not ideal uh, for stretching out to 350 yards, which was uh, the longest range that we had to shoot at the championship. So I'm going to go ahead and break down uh, how we set up the rifle here, and then uh, we're going to go through in a different episode the different stages on the uh, NRL 22 championships, and we shot uh, 20 stages, so that is a ton of stuff to break down. Uh, so we'll probably break that up into two separate videos. Uh, but to get right into the rifle, uh, the biggest difference that you will notice on this is it wears a Modular Driven Technologies ACC chassis. And the ACC, ACC stands for Adjustable Core Competition. Uh, so the key part of the ACC chassis, and we've done a full breakdown in it before, so I won't stretch this out too much, uh, is the fact that you can add weights uh, on the fore end of the chassis. Now this allows us to balance the rifle out very, very well. And in this case, I set the rifle up to balance just a little bit tail heavy. Now if I run the bipod forward, uh, then it will balance out just about perfectly. Uh, and that is what I wanted so that we run up on certain barricades, uh, I can throw a a support bag right here in front of the magwell and I can get the rifle uh, to balance out almost perfectly. I want just a little bit of pressure uh, right here over the front scope ring and that gives me uh, just the amount that I need to control the rifle. Now added advantages to the ACC is that I have this really nice um, forend stop here uh, mag fence to keep me from putting pressure on the magazine. Uh, so when I insert a magazine and then I run this up against a barricade, I'm not actually putting any pressure on the magazine itself. The pressure is on the chassis uh, and that can prevent all kinds of feeding issues. Uh, we've also got a nice little uh, scalloped edge up here uh, that allows me to reach in and grab the magazine if I'm not using an extended magazine uh, like we have here. When we come back a little bit, um, the pistol grip has changed on the ACC from previous uh, versions. Uh, now we go to this uh, really nice, beefy, thick, adjustable uh, pistol grip. And it's adjustable for uh, reach to the trigger, and it is also adjustable for angle. Now, if you don't like any of that stuff, uh, the ACC chassis uses a standard uh, AR mounting boss. So you can use whatever your regular AR grip. You just have to be careful about uh, grips that have duck bills. Hard plastic grips with duck bills may not work really well uh, on this chassis. You may have to trim that duck bill. So uh, just be careful for that, but other uh, rubber type grips 
uh, they'll generally allow that to bend enough to work. And any that don't have a duck bill on them, uh, those uh, work just fine. So you can really uh, customize that. The mag release is pretty much the same. Trigger guard is the same. One nice thing for this is uh, there is an opening in front of the trigger guard. So if you have a trigger that has an adjustment screw in front, uh, you can get a tool through here uh, to make adjustments to your trigger weight without actually having to take the whole rifle out. Uh, so that's a really nice feature when you're tuning the gun in. Also, it's a really nice feature. So if you get into a point in a match, which uh, I've seen a lot of people and I myself have been there before, where you thought you had your trigger adjusted properly and you start running into issues uh, with the striker following the bolt handle, uh, then you can add a little bit of weight, put a couple extra clicks on that trigger uh, to help keep it from dropping on bolt close. So uh, that is a really nice feature. Uh, we come to the back, we have the uh, MDT skeleton stock back here. Uh, you've got a couple of different stock uh, options for the ACC chassis. This is my favorite though. This is the non-folding version. You can get a folding version if you wish, but on this shorter rifle, it really wasn't needed. Uh, so we have adjustable uh, cheek for height. Uh, we can also loosen up the screws and we can slide it laterally. Uh, so if you've got a thicker face or thinner face, you can adjust that to wherever you want. I usually keep it uh, in the center uh, so that if I have to swap over to support side, I'm not pushed way off to one side or the other. Uh, it is toolless adjustment. We have two uh, thumb screws here to lock it in. You loosen those two thumb screws and then you have this wheel down here uh, that you can turn to raise or lower it. Uh, there are also uh, graduating marks on either side. Uh, so once you get to where you want, you can note where those marks are. And if you need to drop this uh, to run a cleaning rod through, uh, it's easy to dial it right back up to where you want it. The length of pull is also toolless adjustable. I actually have it dialed all the way in right now. Uh, but you can loosen the thumb screws, run again a uh, wheel here. Uh, to give me length of pull adjustment. And then finally, one thing that I really like and I did use is we can loosen this thumb screw here and the um, butt pad will move up and down uh, to get that dialed in so you can get it locked into your shoulder pocket exactly where you want it. Uh, there is also some lateral adjustment on it, but I've got it uh, straight up and down. So overall, the chassis uh, worked very, very well. Uh, it has a Arca rail built into the forend, which is one of the key features I wanted on it because I wanted to be able to run the MDT SkyPod. Uh, the SkyPod, uh, the one that we have, is set up uh, to run on the Arca interface. Uh, so it makes it very simple. I can just loosen the rail and then slide the bipod to uh, wherever I want to run it and then tighten it down, which was useful on quite a few of the different barricades. Uh, I have a barricade stop up here as well. Uh, so it is easy to just flip the bipod the opposite direction. And then I have this big flat barricade stop that I can put wherever I want on the forend. Uh, there were some instances where that came in very handy. And when we do the breakdown, I will definitely talk about that. Um, I can put weights up here wherever I want, but uh, the slots on here are M-Lock compatible, so you can put whatever type of M-Lock accessories you want up here. Uh, MDT did just release a dope card holder uh, that mounts on these two accessory spots. 
which are on either side of the chassis. I haven't had a chance to try that out yet, uh, but it is a really cool option. So the chassis was really the key reason I wanted to rebuild the whole rifle before we went to the match because I'm very familiar with the ACC chassis. We have several of them. Uh, last year, I shot the T1X in an ACC chassis, and I'm just really at home on this chassis system. Now, obviously, we are sponsored by MDT, uh, but I think they make a really great product, and we were happy with their products before we took them on board as a sponsor. Uh, but I just wanted to put that out there for you guys uh, while you're listening to me uh, gush about how much I really do like this chassis. Uh, there are a ton of chassis out there that work very, very well for this sport, uh, but we just really appreciate MDT's support. And again, I've really enjoyed working with their products. The SkyPod is also an MDT product now. Now, I will talk about this. The SkyPod that I'm using is the first generation. Uh, this was the one they came out with originally when they started producing it. So it does not have toolless adjustments for uh, the cant and pan uh, tension on them. And we did run into one instance where um, a little bit through the first day, uh, the uh, cant adjustment had loosened up enough uh, that when I set the rifle down, if I wasn't real careful, it would flop over to the side. It wasn't really that big of a deal while I was shooting it because these are field positions, so nothing was really level. Uh, so the ability to drop it down and just torque the rifle to level it out is great. Uh, but I needed a little bit more tension to be sure that my rifle wasn't going to do a barrel roll when I set it down. So thankfully, I always carry a uh, multi-tool in my bag, and I pulled that out real quick and dialed it in and got that fixed. So the pan adjustment, I didn't have to adjust that at any point. Um, it, it stayed uh, right where I wanted it. Uh, which was enough for me to get the back and forth without really having the bipod feet skitter to one way or the other. Again, uh, this was a field match, so uh, we really didn't have any situation where we're shooting on concrete pads. Everything was either uh, rock or grass or a variety of different barricades. Uh, so the bipod uh, panning, we didn't have to really worry about the feet working forward. They generally stayed where they wanted to be. Now, I did swap the feet out on this bipod. Uh, I've got Atlas rubber feet on it right now. Uh, it did have the spike claws, but I was running into issues uh, where the claws would want to rotate and snap out of their detents. Again, it was a very early bipod. Uh, I haven't heard of that issue from anybody else that have had has the uh, SkyPod, uh, but the Atlas rubber feet, uh, since they're nice round uh, feet, you don't really have to worry about them catching, and they seem to work really well on a variety of surfaces. So um, the Atlas feet are really what I'm running on it right now. Now the action itself is exactly the same as the uh, stock B14R. We didn't do anything to it. Uh, one thing that you will notice is that the barrel ends right here. I am about uh, three quarters of an inch shy of the end of the forend. It may look a little silly, but this actually works out really well because there is no chance whatsoever in a field shooting situation where I'm going to rest the barrel on anything. The barrel is actually behind the forend, uh, so even on some really hinky barricades, uh, if I'm resting anything on it, I'm just resting the forend on it, not the barrel itself. I thought we were going to end up with fouling issues inside the tip, but apparently not. 
Uh, I haven't seen any uh, any lead buildup or any carbon buildup uh, in the inside of the tip of the forend. Now, most of the time when we go into our regular uh, weekly matches, or I'm sorry, our regular monthly matches, I will probably run a suppressor on this, so the suppressor will extend beyond the forend. So it's not a huge deal. Uh, I like the fact that I'm a little bit shorter here, so uh, putting the suppressor on it, uh, I will still be uh, fairly short for threading the rifle through uh, ladders and different barricades of that nature. But I know some people had commented on it. It doesn't really make any difference whatsoever. Uh, when you're measuring these to set up chassis like this, uh, this is an 18-inch barrel on the Bagara, uh, but what you have to remember is the barrel comes in to the action uh, to right about here. So if you try to measure it like a regular centerfire rifle when you're setting things up, it doesn't work. Um, you have to remember that the uh, barrel actually extends rearward from the recoil lug recess. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, when we ordered our uh, Voodoo 360 action, uh, I had a little bit of a conversation back and forth with them. We actually ordered a 20-inch barrel for that rifle so uh, that it would be correct length uh, for the forend on the ACC chassis. Now, coming back to the rear, we are running the stock uh, bolt handle and uh, bolt lever. Uh, I really had considered uh, switching out to uh, Anarchy Arms uh, curved bolt handle with a ball on it. I have a similar setup on the Tika T1X, uh, and I really, really enjoy having that curved handle with the bolt handle. It just seems that I can run the bolt just a little bit faster. Um, the curved handle from Anarchy Outdoors actually allows you to uh, clock the bolt knob to where you want it. Uh, I can't give that an endorsement yet because we haven't actually worked with it. Uh, I may see about picking up one of those uh, a little bit later on uh, to see how well it actually works on this rig. For triggers, we went with the TriggerTech Diamond uh, flat trigger. This is the PVD coated, so it is the black trigger, which just looks better on the all-black rifle. Um, it is set at about one pound, which I think is what it came out of the box at. I don't believe I did any adjustment afterwards. I put it on, uh, tried it, it felt good, uh, so we left it at one pound. So that gives me about a pound, pound and a half lighter than the factory trigger, but what I really wanted is I wanted that straight flat blade. Uh, I find that the straight flat blade gives me just a few more options if I have to get into really weird positions. Uh, sometimes you'll end up in a situation where you are supporting the pistol grip and you'll have your arm uh, planted on either your knee or some other barricade and you just need to get that little bit of lift. Now I can plant the bottom of the pistol grip uh, in the uh, shelf of my palm and get a really stable position. I'm not bouncing around, but there's no way I'm actually getting a clean straight to the rear pull on the trigger. The flat trigger just allows me to get right on the tip of the trigger and pull the trigger if I need to. Um, the flat trigger makes that a little bit more comfortable because while even on the uh, diamond here, we've got a little bump at the bottom, you don't have the sharp point that you get with a normal curve trigger. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I like the flat trigger. Uh, the other one is that it just feels better to me, uh, pressing on that wide flat face 
than it does on a curved trigger. Now you can argue the opposite direction. A curved trigger generally will position your trigger finger in a more consistent manner uh, every time you engage it. But with the little bump down on the bottom of the diamond, I can feel where that bump is at in relation to my finger and I can get a very consistent trigger finger placement uh, every time if I'm in a conventional position behind the rifle. So it's 100% personal preference, uh, but I really, really like the Trigger Tech Diamond. We haven't run into any issues with it at all, and it performed flawlessly uh, on the B14R. It's the same trigger I have on my centerfire rifles. Uh, so again, we get that same feel back and forth between the two. Um, the This diamond actually uses um, the standard position uh, safety. So the safety worked just fine. We didn't have any interference uh, with the chassis or the bolt handle. I only ran into um, one or two issues in the workup before I went out where I would bump the bolt or bump the safety into a safe position running the bolt handle. I didn't actually run into it at all during the match, so I didn't have to worry about uh, knocking the safety on when I ran the bolt handle. Uh, that has been an issue in the past on some setups. It uh, wasn't really an issue on this one. Uh, one thing that you need to keep in mind with the diamond triggers, they do not have a side bolt release. So you have to have a receiver mounted bolt release. And of course the B14R does, uh, the bolt release is on the left hand side of the receiver. So you don't have to deal with pushing uh, from the bottom of the trigger uh, like you do on a standard Remington setup. So that is it for the rifle. Now let's talk about the optics mounting system. Now shooting out to 350 yards does require a significant amount of elevation to get out to that distance, sometimes up to 20 uh, mils of elevation uh, to actually reach out there. So you're generally going to be on the second or third rev on your optic. Um, you need to have an inclined base uh, to be able to actually reach out there. And even with a 20 minute base, uh, I still ran into just a tiny bit of an issue. Um, now this is the Modular Driven Technologies 20 minute base. Uh, it is the Remington 700 short action base, uh, which works perfectly on the B14R. Uh, one of the reasons we went with this base is it does have a integrated recoil lug built into it. So it has a little bit of uh, material that comes down and indexes against the front of the ejection port. Now the ejection port on the B14R is much shorter than it is on a center fire or on a uh, standard short action, uh, but the front of the recoil, or I'm sorry, the front of the ejection port is at the same place as it would be on a short action Remington. So the base lines up perfectly. That was one of the concerns that I had until we got the base on fitted and everything worked well from there. Now, this is not a hard recoiling system, so you might be wondering why I really worried about that. Well, uh, we have a large bulky scope on top of this, uh, and it just gives you a little bit more resistance if the scope should take an impact. Uh, it helps just index all that and get everything lined up. Plus, it's nice when you're installing the base, you can drop it on, push it forward, load against that lug, and your screw holes are lined up. You don't have to worry about uh, fiddling things around to try to get your screws lined up. Uh, installation of the base was simple as can be. Um, torqued it down, we are good to go. Uh, we don't have to worry about any of that. 
Now we did use the MDT Elite scope rings. Um, the Elite rings have uh, a really interesting feature for mounting. Uh, they use a standard uh, half-inch nut on the left-hand side of the rings. Uh, the rings use six uh, Torx screws to lock the uh, scope down. But unlike regular rings where you would have equal gap on either side of the rings when you're done, on the Elite rings, what you actually do is you tighten the screws down fully on the left-hand side of the rings, or the same side as the um, ring-to-base mounting nut. So you tighten those down, and then you have the full gap on the right-hand side. Now, the rings are designed to do that, but what that does is you can tighten those down, and you can still rotate your scope or slide it forward or back uh, to get it lined up exactly where you want, and then you torque down uh, the screws on the right-hand side. And this seems to help resist the tendency of scopes to rotate one way or the other uh, when you're tightening and trying to keep an equal gap uh, with traditional rings. And they've worked really well. Uh, they also have a bubble level built into the base of the ring, uh, so that helps you get everything leveled out when you're assembling it. Uh, it's not really helpful when you're actually uh, shooting because where the level is placed, uh, you can't really see it while you're mounted on the gun, uh, but it does help everything uh, get squared away and dialed in really quickly. Uh, rings work just fine. We didn't have any movement of the scope, um, and I just really like how quickly and how easily you can get everything mounted up and everything dialed in. Now for the scope. Um, this is something a little bit different. This is the Bushnell HDMR2 CR. Uh, so this is a currently discontinued scope. Uh, Bushnell uh, sent this out to us uh, about eight, nine months ago, uh, and we've got it uh, dialed in on the scope or on the rifle now. Uh, it's taken us a little while to get this out. Now, this was a very, very limited run, so it wasn't something we were really in a rush uh, to do a review on. Uh, but I really want to cover this because a lot of people looked at it and really wondered what was going on here. Uh, because normally the HDMR2, uh, the parallax adjustment, is not sufficient for a uh, 22. I believe it only goes down to 50 or 75 on the standard HDMR2. Well, this is the HDMR2 CR. Uh, so H is, stands for a horse reticle. This does have an H59 reticle in it, which I really like the H59 reticle. I'm not a huge horse reticle fan, but the H59 just seems to work really, really well for me. And because it's not specific to any single scope manufacturer, uh, I can get the H59 reticle in a very wide range of scopes. So uh, Night Force, Bushnell, and uh, quite a few others out there have H59 options uh, in their scopes. So uh, that's a nice option, but that's where the H comes from. Otherwise, it would just be the DMR2. Uh, and to my knowledge, the, the CR, I think, was only in the HDMR2, which uh, I, I may be incorrect on that. Uh, but the CR stands for close range. And what that means is my little parallax turret here goes down to 25 yards. Uh, so I can get this all the way into a very, very close adjusted parallax, uh, even at higher magnification levels, and still actually be able to see what I was engaging. Uh, this is really important because we did have uh, some close-range targets. Uh, when you are shooting 22 matches like this, if they really want to mess with you and make you 
make adjustments on the gun. Uh, they will put a very fine close range target and then they will put a longer range target out and they'll make you move between the two. Uh, doing so, it's almost impossible to leave your parallax at one setting because one of those two targets will be so blurry, it's very difficult to engage it. Uh, so with the 25 yard parallax, I can dial down to 25, hit that stop, and then come back up. And the parallax knob is actually marked with yardage on it, which is my preference. Uh, the yardage marks allow me just to really quickly dial that in, especially if you're not allowed to glass before the stage starts. Uh, then I can dial the scope into where I think the parallax should be, and if I need to fine-tune it once I get on the gun, I can do that. So that is the big benefit of the HDMR 2CR. Now again, unfortunately, uh, this scope has been discontinued. Uh, so if you go on Bushnell's website right now and look at it, it says discontinued. There may be a few floating around out there, um, but uh, I think all of the... Uh, retailers had sent them back to Bushnell, and I believe Bushnell was really the only source. So maybe you'll be able to find one out there on the uh, used market, but I was really happy with this scope. Uh, it worked very, very well. Uh, now, the controls on it are just like a standard DMR2. Uh, so your top turret just dials. You have a zero stop, but it is not a locking turret. Uh, the windage turret is a locking turret, so you pull it out to disengage the lock, dial wherever you need, push it back in when you want to lock it. Now, one thing a lot of shooters don't realize on push-pull locking turrets, you do not need to lock the turret down. Only lock the turret down when you don't want the turret to move. If you're actually using the turret, uh, then you can keep it unlocked. If I was going to go on a stage and I thought I was going to have to make windage adjustments on the fly, uh, then I would leave it unlocked. This is really true though on elevation turrets. Uh, if you have a push-pull locking elevation turret, uh, when you get on the stage, if you're going to dial, just keep it unlocked. So you can dial, shoot, dial, shoot, and you don't have to keep pull pushing it between each adjustment. I have seen some shooters that thought uh, that you had to lock the turret back down before you fired the shot. Um, and that really shouldn't be necessary on any of the higher quality scopes. You can leave it unlocked uh, while you're dialing your adjustments. So um, this is a 3.5 to 21 power magnification. Uh, the, the magnification ring is a little bit stiff on the CRs. It's stiffer than it is on the regular DMR2s, and I think it's because uh, some other things that are going on inside the scope. Uh, it has loosened up a little bit since I've started using it, so it's not bad, but it's not as quick uh, as some of the other scopes that I have. Uh, 21 power top end is great for these, but to be honest, I think I only ventured north of 15 on a handful of stages. Most of the time I was maxing out the power at about 15 uh, to give me the wider field of view so I can transition back and forth to targets. Uh, the elevation, I had just enough elevation to get done what I needed. Um, our home range here goes out to just shy of 400 yards. Uh, so I made sure I had my dope out to 400. And um, that is about where this rifle ran out of elevation. I really need to put a 30-minute base. I might be able to get away with a 40-minute base on here uh, to really give me the ability to reach out as far as I can get ballistically uh, with this setup. But 20, 
had it for this. But one thing that I did notice that was very interesting uh, is since I was reaching the end of the elevation uh, available in the scope, what this means is I'm tilting the internal assembly. Now the objective lens doesn't tilt. Uh, the internal erector assembly tilts. Uh, so as I'm dialing that elevation, I'm tilting the assembly to its limit. Uh, that means I'm not looking through the sweet spot of the center of the lenses anymore. Uh, and I did notice that with uh, the DMR2 here, once I got bottomed out on that elevation, uh, the bottom edge of my sight picture was starting to get a little bit blurry. It wasn't crystal clear anymore. The reticle was still clear, uh, but the sight picture through it uh, was starting to get a little bit blurry. So that's where we talk about where incline bases really come in because if I put a little bit more incline on the scope, I wouldn't have been down into the very bottom edge of that glass. Uh, I would have been able to look through the uh, clear spot a little bit more, or the, the sweet spot of the objective lens. So that's just a little bit of what's going on inside the scope. I'm really pushing the scope to the limits of uh, what it was designed for. So really nice. Um, Hopefully Bushnell will be bringing out a scope in the future that has the 25-yard parallax in a flagship design uh, like the uh, DMR2 that we have here. So overall, that is the rifle that I took uh, to the NRL 22 Nationals or the NRL 22 Championship. I have no complaints whatsoever over how the rifle functioned. Uh, any shots that I missed were really my own fault. Uh, before we go, I am going to talk a little bit about the magazines. Uh, so, one of the failings that we talked about in the B14R review is that the Begara magazines are only 10-round magazines. Uh, when we did the review, I did mention that there was one company uh, that made magazine extensions. I didn't actually name the company in the review because I wasn't quite happy with the way they were functioning at the time. Um, it is uh, L3i Designs is the name of the company, and they're a small company. It's a one-man shop. Uh, so I wanted to try to get a hold of them before I laid out any info on them, and unfortunately at the time, I didn't have any way to get a hold of them. Um, L3i reached out to me and uh, gave me some options to uh, fix the magazine issue that I was having, or the extension issue. Uh, so I took some of his um, suggestions and managed to uh, get the magazines working well enough uh, that I used a magazine with his extension on it for pretty much the entire match uh, at the championship. I didn't have to resort uh, to any of the factory magazines. So that was very beneficial for me because it meant I always had uh, 12 rounds in the magazine uh, and it meant that I didn't have to do any magazine changes because there were uh, quite a few 12 round stages. Uh, so that allowed me to stay in the gun, that allowed me to keep running, and I didn't have to resort to the spare mag that I was carrying on my hip. Uh, so we'll probably go into uh, review on the magazine extensions in detail, but basically what I ended up having to do uh, is he has these 3D printed spacers that go inside uh, the extension, and the 3D printed spacers... Uh, are printed to his spec, but apparently there's some variance in the molds for the Bagara magazines, and sometimes these will fit a little bit too tight and they'll impinge on the uh, 
the follower. And that's the issue that I was having. So I ended up just cutting out a little bit of a piece on the spacer uh, to allow the follower to go through a little bit cleaner. I ended up um, rounding the bottom of the edges on the follower, which is what he suggested. That allowed it to transition a little bit cleaner. And then I had to take um, this little uh, red uh, spring I guess it's a spring follower. It sits on the bottom of the spring, uh, and I had to clean up the edges on it a little bit more so that it sat down into the follower uh, or into the extension with a little bit less uh, drag. Uh, once I did all that, uh, it worked really well. I had to uh, play with the spring and the follower in that a little bit to get everything to seat where it needed to be. Once I got it to seat in there, uh, it was good to go. Uh, the finish on them is not the greatest. I mean, it's Definitely, obviously, a 3D printed part uh, when you look at it. Uh, so it has that the regular printer lines that you see on 3D printed parts. But the cosmetics uh, were not really what I was worried about. Uh, it has a nice gripping edge in here. So getting it in and out of a mag pouch or in and out of the rifle uh, was not a problem at all. Now, I did make uh, one other modification on the magazine itself. Uh, we've run into some issues in the past with the B14R where when you bring the bolt back, uh, it will prematurely uh, drop the fired cartridge inside the action. It won't actually eject it clear and then you end up uh, with a jam when you try to load the next cartridge. Uh, a lot of what that was is the uh, front edge of the magazine is really angular and it actually mimics the design of the ejector, but instead of being at the back, it's at the front. Uh, so it would occasionally catch the rim of the cartridge and pop it out of the extractors, just like the actual ejector inside the action. Uh, so I put a little bevel on the front of the magazine feed lips. Uh, they don't really do anything up there. The actual ramp for the cartridges is about midway back on these feed lips. Uh, so putting that uh, ramp on there, uh, brings them down enough that the edge of the cartridge won't catch on them. And if the edge of the cartridge touches them, uh, then the ramp pushes the cartridge back up into the bolt face as it comes back until it hits the actual ejector and kicks out. So that kind of solved our issues. And I really didn't have any issues with cases dropping off inside the action um, during the actual match. Now, one thing you really need to be careful with uh, with the B14R and with a lot of other uh, 22 actions when you put them into chassis systems that weren't designed with the action in mind uh, is the height of the magazine. Uh, one thing that we still haven't quite cleared up on this one is occasionally uh, the magazine will ride low and when I go to feed around it will run right into the uh, bottom edge of the chamber and there is no chamfer on this chamber. It's designed for the cartridge to feed straight into the chamber, uh, not to ride up anything. So if it runs a little bit low, it hits a sharp edge on the back of the chamber and that soft lead will bite into that sharp edge and it will come to a full stop. Uh, so the magazine has to be high enough for the cartridge to get a full uh, running start and feed straight into the uh, chamber. That has a lot to do with uh, the mag catch height in the chassis, uh, but it also has to do with how much slop you have inside the mag well. Uh, because the mag catch engages back here and the tower that feeds the rounds are up here. If you have just a little bit of slop in the front, it's very easy to get some tilt going on and that tilt 
ends up in a significant drop at the front edge of the magazine. Uh, so some people have put um, all kinds of spacers or Velcro or things on various different chassis to keep that from tilting forward. Um, I've got some material here now. I'm going to try to play with some spacers on the front of the round tower uh, so that it keeps it indexed against the uh, back of the barrel uh, where this goes up into the action. And hopefully that will prevent any tilt. But what I did for the match is normally when I insert a magazine, normally when I insert a magazine into the action, I will push and it will latch and then I will pull to ensure that the magazine is seated. Uh, it's pretty much standard administrative load technique with any weapon, AR-15, handguns, uh, bolt guns, etc. cetera. Uh, the problem with that is that when I pull down, I now put that tilt into the magazine. So when I did an admin load before the time started, I would have to pull down and I'd have to make sure that I pushed back up on the magazine so that it's seated as high in the action as I could possibly get it. As long as I did that, there's enough friction on the magazine uh, that it would stay there. It wouldn't tilt on its own. I only had a couple of times where I would bump it on a barricade or bump it on a barricade bag. And then I would, I would feel that tension when I pushed it forward. But because I played with it enough and knew what was going on, when I felt the tension, all I had to do was leave the bolt handle where it was at, pop the magazine, and then it would close and it would feed. Uh, if I came back too far, I would either kick that cartridge out or I would start to pick up another cartridge off the magazine and cause all kinds of problems. So again, I would just push it forward, feel that resistance, push up, and then I would be able to drive the bolt forward and lock it down. Um, I don't know if there was any ballistic difference on those cartridges because they did, did then have a little smiley face cut uh, in the bottom of the bullet. Um, maybe at some point uh, over the next couple of weeks, I'll go out and uh, actually uh, shoot some groups uh, and see if that resulted in any flyers. Uh, while we were doing our quick workup, when I would have a jam, it didn't seem like that cartridge I'd fired afterwards was a flyer, um, but... I was concentrating on other things at the time, like resolving the jams, not where the where the uh, impacted round ended up. So it's uh, another question in my mind. But overall, when things were all uh, said and done, uh, my modified magazine and the follower worked well. Now, one thing, once we put the L3i followers or the L3i extensions on, um, there's very very little tension on the mag spring on that last cartridge. I even pulled the spring uh, to try to stretch it uh, as much as I was comfortable with doing. And there was still so little tension that if I only loaded one round in the magazine and then tilted it down and rattled it, that one round would probably fall out. Uh, it wasn't an issue in practice though, because at the end of a 10 round stage, I still have two rounds remaining. I could pop the mag out, nothing fell out onto the ground. Uh, and if the magazine was in the action and I was actually running it, the tension was sufficient to hold the cartridge in place until I could bolt it up. Uh, so that didn't end up being an issue at all. Uh, but I did order some uh, magazine springs from Tandem Cross that I'm gonna try out. And we'll talk about those when we do the full review of the uh, L3i Designs uh, magazine extensions. 
So that is going to be it for my rundown of the uh, rifle that I took to the NRL 22 championship. Uh, if you guys want to know more about the B14R, then we'll leave a link down below to the review that we did on the B14R. It's fairly exhaustive and talks about the accuracy standards and the accuracy between the factory B14R and the rig as it's sitting here. Uh, was absolutely identical because we didn't change anything in the actual barreled action. Uh, it was just a lighter trigger and a more ergonomic chassis that works the way I need it to work. So that's going to do it for this episode. If you guys have any questions or comments over anything we've covered, please drop a comment in the comment section down below or send it to us on Facebook or Twitter. If you like the video, please make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And make sure you click that little bell icon so you get notified when we release new content. And until next time, get out and shoot.